Hi, this is Julie Christensen with APSI. We're excited to launch the APSI Employment First, Employment for All podcast as a new way to connect with you. This podcast is a way to provide updates, real-time advocacy alerts, and information related to all things Employment First. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thanks for listening. Good morning, wherever it is that you are. Um, Julie Christensen, I um, I go use the pronouns she and her and quick um, visual description. I am a Caucasian middle-aged person with long brown hair, brown eyes. Um, and I'm super excited to be here because what we, um, as Denise and, and Andrew were talking, I jotted down some additional notes because I think the impetus um, for APSTI to even do this study is so directly linked to some of the things that we've already talked about on this um, call. And so, you know, Denise already uh, let, <laughs> gave the little preview that I, I am, I was, I grew up in the AUCD, AUCD network. So, you know, AUCD for a long time um, has been really at the forefront of that connection between research and lived experience, um, as well as research to practice translation. So I think both of those are important. Um, I think what I'm, what I'm finding as I am now um, doing this work at APSI is that when we talk about the lived experience, that also includes the lived experience of service providers. Um, and so that's really where this study kind of took off. Um, and, and what I hope I'm going to do just a very, very quick overview of some of the findings, but I, I really kind of want to get to a couple of the connecting the dots um, in terms of what, what projects like this mean for um, not just research to practice, but practice to research, um, which is is equally important um and also thinking through in real time you know what is the data telling us i, I have the the I get to be both when Denise, you know, self-proclaims to be a policy geek and not a statistician and, and makes that differentiation, which I would actually disagree with. She's pretty savvy when it comes to numbers as well. Um, I dip my toes in both. And so it's um it's a fun kind of place to play, shall we say. But let's move on. Next slide. Um, so I, I will start by saying that this project was not intended to be research. Um, it was intended to inform policy. Um, and so there were a number of things when the COVID pandemic began that from the um, perspective, uh, National APSI is a, a member organization um, that is not exclusively the provider community. Um, we also have members who are policymakers, um, academic researchers, um, people with disabilities themselves, um, family members, um, you name it if they are on uh, their journey towards improving employment outcomes for people with disabilities, then they are part of the Employment First movement and thus we welcome them to the APSI table. Um, we engaged very early in the COVID pandemic, however, you know, really thinking about the service system that supports people with disabilities um, in the workforce, either entering into the workforce or supports them ongoing as they are working if needed. Not every person with a disability needs these supports. Um, but for many, um, they, they do really rely on these supports. Uh, let's go to the next slide. So we set out to um, really just get live 
real-time input from the provider community um, about what was happening um, in the service system, what, what was happening for people with disabilities um, who were in the workforce, perhaps had to leave the workforce, um, and then also job development and job coaching, what does that look like in a COVID environment? Um, we wanted to be able to answer these questions because we knew that our service industry was um, at a you know, crisis point pre-COVID pre um, in terms of the direct support professional shortage and, and other things, but um, certainly a, um, a national shutdown and uh, stay at home translated into virtual work environment really changed the scope of how we do things. So that, that was the goal. Um, next slide. I, I want to give a little bit of a caveat and context in this and that we were trying to be exceptionally careful in how we approached this from a policy perspective in making the point that um, having a disability in and of itself is not equated to poor health outcomes, but that we were we recognize people with disabilities were disproportionately put at risk with the COVID pandemic. Um, and if you move on to the next slide to layer onto that, we also recognize that people of color, um, there is a disproportionate impact. Um, and so quickly to the next slide, um, to kind of pull those things together, what APSI is really front and center um, communicating is that all of our work in this space, um, in terms of understanding the impact of COVID, but more importantly, what does that mean as we move forward into whatever our new normal is going to be, that it is a new normal we're looking for, not a return to what used to be normal because what used to be normal wasn't working for everybody. People with disabilities we know are less likely to be in the labor market. And if you're a person with a disability who also is a person of color, then your outcomes are even lower. And so our, our approach from a pri um, public policy priority perspective is to really focus on equity as a whole. Um, and so that really was the framing of the questions that we asked and how we analyzed the data. So without further ado, um, if you could go to the next slide. We um, started this uh, back in June of 2020. We have been conducting um, follow-up surveys on a quarterly basis. Um, and so what I'm gonna present right now is um, sort of an annual, a, a one-year comparison. So summer of 2020 to summer of 2021, um, that's the data you're gonna be seeing on the next couple of slides. So if we could go to that next slide, um, I will start with um, saying that we are incredibly happy to have been able to partner with a number of organizations. Um, this is not data that is APSI only, although highly overrepresented for obvious reasons. Um, and if we could go to the next slide, we had really good, um, participation, which I was quite frankly shocked at. Um, and, and I think that speaks to the fact that people on the ground doing the work, um, regardless of their affiliation um, in terms of their national organization connections, were just really um, desperate to tell their story. Providers needed help during this period. Um, and they were seeing in real time what was happening on the ground um, to the business community, to people with disabilities. Um, I, I don't think this slide is going to surprise 
anybody, but the initial focus of kind of where we were at and what was driving a lot of the anxiety um, in the early sta stages, early months of COVID is um, when everything shut down, <laughs> that also meant our federal funding systems. Um, so vocational rehabilitation and Medicaid um, had to quickly shift and figure out um, how to do things virtually in terms of even just getting money out the door. Um, and so one, one quick point um, in looking, in thinking back to Andrew's slides, um, we saw, you know, a, we expected and saw a dip in um, labor participation rate um, in those first few months. And that is completely not surprising because Medicaid and VR dollars really slowed down, stopped trickling in um, as the systems were trying to figure out, you know, how to change service definitions to do remote supports um, and so on and so forth. And so with decreased funding, means services closed down, means staff were furloughed. Um, so those direct support providers that we didn't have enough of pre-pandemic, we had even less of in the first couple of months of COVID. Um, the good news is that we saw partial recovery fairly early, Medicaid in particular. It's the only time in my career that I have been grateful to have um, employment um, services uh, as part of a healthcare plan, which in most other aspects is confusing, but because Medicaid switched to telehealth so seamlessly, Medicaid funded employment services and supports also were able um, to shift relatively seamlessly in terms of the, the regulatory um, practices that allow dollars to flow. That was not the same for vocational rehabilitation. Um, and for some states, it really took a long time to get services back up and running. If we could go, go to the next slide. Um, so when we look at service closures, and I know that this is super small on your screen, um, but the, the big takeaway from this, and again, we're comparing 2020 to 2021, um, is the um, service closures, where they happened, um, and then what, what are the trends as we have moved forward. And so um, there was a lot of shutdown early on. And what's interesting to me, uh, I would have said, you know, six, eight months ago that I was cautiously optimistic that the pandemic provided an opportunity for us to move away from um, some of the, you know, segregated congregate setting services that um, particularly in the Medicaid side, um, because they shut down and we were providing supports to people at their homes. Um, and so we were really interested in seeing, you know, well, is this kind of a turning point? Perhaps we can emerge in a new normal that is less reliant on segregated and congregate um, settings. And I, I'm still somewhat optimistic, but I think even when we a year later ask folks who have closed their facility-based services, do you intend to reopen them? We're seeing it start to tick back up. Um, and in some respects, I would argue that that's a factor of um, we still have a service system that is in crisis. Um, and we have not yet figured out a way to get dollars flowing in a way that incentivizes um, competitive integrated employment, even though that is under law what all services are federally funded services are supposed to be driving towards. If we could go to the next slide, um, I, I want to 
expand a little bit on direct support professional job loss. Um, so what this is representing is that we, we started to ask early on whether folks um, had to furlough or, or lay off staff um, and then measured their anticipated belief that they would be able to bring staff back when dollars started to flow again through Medicaid and vocational rehabilitation. Um, so fast forward a year later, um, and we can see that, you know, some of those positions came back, but quite honestly, we are seeing a net loss of 20% of employment support professionals. Um, and, and that is the piece of the DSP workforce we're talking about. So our job coaches, our job developers, um, it, it is critical um, that we really pay attention to this and understand, you know, the impact of, of what um, COVID has done to the service delivery system from an advocacy perspective when we talk about the um, possibility of a historic investment in home and community-based services um, through Build Back Better, that includes employment supports. And so, you know, we will be working hard to um, advocate that those dollars are also um, accessible to employment providers as well. We could go to the next slide. Um, let's talk a little bit about job loss for people with disabilities. And um, so what this question specifically asked was people with disabilities on caseloads, regardless of whether they were VR or um, DD, or sorry, Medicaid funded, um, did they lose their job during the pandemic? And it's not a surprise that the answer is yes. Um, however, if we could go to the next slide. Um, oh, sorry, I have a slide in between that <laughs> speaks to why those job loss um, losses take, take place. And I will say, sorry, whoever's, go to the next slide. Um, it's the number one reason was mandatory business and industry closure. Um, and that I think is critical because when we start to look at that rebound, which has happened for people with disabilities, um, even greater than it did, um, or is happened faster than it has for the um, total population. I think part of that is because once we got, you know, sort of dollars flowing, we could help to make some of those connections. Um, so if we could go to the next slide, it, it will speak to the other part of this conversation, which is job gains. And so to, you know, to kind of add a layer of, of um, or at least a lens on that uptick on um, people with disabilities, um, getting us to the highest, you know, recorded employment to population ratio we have had, um, we have seen substantial job gains for people with disabilities. Um, That's interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons, I think, you know, for that um, and makes us really kind of want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I, and so one of them has to do with a sh shift in um, sector employment, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, but it also is... Um, I think, you know, there's a piece of this conversation about remote work and how remote work has changed the opportunity for people with disabilities. Um, there is a piece to this of um, the great resignation, as we hear in the news, of um, there being a lot of return to work jobs that, that people 
in the general population are not returning to and people with disabilities are able to fill those jobs, which makes it a really interesting um, moment for us in disability employment because what we are hearing at the ground level is that employers, you know, we're, we're past this notion of needing to convince employers that people with disabilities can work. Um, employers need people who want to work and people with disabilities want to work and have wanted to work for a long time. Um, and so we, you know, I think through this, this pandemic have had an opportunity to take advantage of available job opportunities that were going unfilled that really is changing the nature of how we even talk about people with disabilities in the workforce. The other thing I will say, and this gets to the market sector piece, um, is, you know, some of the, some of what we would have considered um, in sort of, I come from a supported employment background, you know, the, the low hanging fruit jobs, shall we say, for people with disabilities um, became essential work during the pandemic. Um, and so again, changes the conversations that we are having about um, the value of work and the value of who's doing the work. If we could go to the next slide, which gets into the market sector piece. So we wanted to get a sense of where job losses were happening by, mar by market sector and where job gains are happening by market sector. And what I particularly want to focus on is um, the retail and service sector. Um, some of these, you know, they're just smaller sectors than others. And so you're, you're obviously going to see um, that the charts themselves are, you know, kind of consistent in shape. But retail and service in particular has seen a lot of growth. And again, this goes back to, um, you know, what was considered an essential job. Um, so huge increases in opportunities in um, distribution centers. Um, you know, when we think about our, you know, on the ground uh, retail, grocery retail, so on and so forth, um, the, the jobs that remained essential that kept things going during the pandemic have historically been jobs that people with disabilities um, had. And, but those opportunities expanded during the pandemic and have continued to maintain, um, you know, high rates of growth. And so that really has been an opportunity. But I will say when we look at some of these other market sectors that maybe haven't rebounded as quickly, this has been a real opportunity for um, the disability employment movement because this shift to work from home, um, shifts in technology, um, you know, all of these pieces have opened doors for new opportunities for people with disabilities that they may not have happened before. And I, and I want to make another quick connection and thank you to the Kessler Foundation um, who funded a um, pilot project um, that I had the pleasure of working on in the Midwest looking at um, virtual job coaching and supports pre-pandemic. We did this work before all of this, but the benefit of that work that was funded by um, the Kessler Foundation is that APSI was able to very quickly translate that into training for on the ground staff to help folks figure out, you know, how do you leverage technology to provide services and supports um, to help make connections um, and to, to get folks back to work or to work at all if, if they had not yet been successful in getting into the market. Looking at the time, I will keep going if we go to the next slide. Um, this, 
this just speaks to the Medicaid and VR challenges in funding. And you can see that, you know, VR um, certainly uh, had, was the system that struggled the most and, and continues to. Um, but if we go to the next slide, um, I, what is really interesting to me, and again, back to you, thank you to the Kessler Foundation for doing some pilot work in this area pre-pandemic, um, the service delivery system as a whole has had to shift. We have had to figure out how to do virtual supports. Um, Pre-pandemic, there was some work in this area, um, but not a lot of it. During the pandemic, it was almost 100% virtual for periods of time. But what's really interesting to me, the bottom um, graph is asking the provider community their intent to continue to provide uh, or to use um, re remote and virtual services and supports for people with disabilities. Um, and, and it's huge, it, it's not going away. Um, and there are a lot of really positive things with that, I would say, because you know people with disabilities for a long time who may need supports, but might not need somebody standing next to them, holding their hand, making them feel different. <laughs> um, you know, and we have found ways to provide supports that I also think have led to some retention, some job retention, um, particularly as you know people with disabilities with, well, the enti our entire society was navigating changes of, you know, COVID-related changes um, and, you know, having access virtually to that job coach who you could just talk things through and get quick strategies. Um, I, I do think, at least anecdotally, um, has helped with job retention during the pandemic as well. I think the next slide might be wrapping things up. Um, oh, so this is our, our what about the future slide, but if we could go forward one more, um, I'll just leave with the fact that the pandemic is not over. Um, we are continuing to collect this data. And again, originally it, it was about policy and, and I think we've, we've had some success in being able to translate this data um, to get supports for the service delivery system. Um, but we also are uh, starting to work with some of our university partners um, to look at what this data means in terms of um, some of the other pieces and parts of, of studying um, employment for people with disabilities. Um, because there's a lot that we have learned through the last year that has helped inform the questions that need to be asked, including the effectiveness of virtual supports and services. We don't know yet the times and situations in which virtual supports don't work. And that's critical to understand because we know that we're gonna be doing more with less in terms of resources moving forward. And there is a fear that an over-reliance on um, virtual supports and services because it's cheaper, easier, fill in the blank, um, becomes the default. And we need to protect that um, sometimes people need hands-on, face-to-face opportunities for support and that our service delivery system continues to offer that and make that available. Um, we're also working globally on this as well. Um, and, and I would say the last piece that's not really covered in this slide, but, but is a concern for us, um, is continuing to look at um, remote work in general. Um, which, as I mentioned earlier, opened lots of opportunities for people with disabilities, but we are paying very, very close attention to not swinging the pendulum into an area where the assumption for employers is, well, I'll hire a person with a disability, but they have to work from home because it that's 
I can't accommodate their needs in the workplace. Um, and, and that's not an acceptable outcome. Um, so I think that's it for me. Great. Um, oh, we're right at time. Unfortunately, we don't have much time for uh, Q&A. Somebody just gave me the high sign. Um, Thank you very much, Julie, for your presentation. Uh, Denise, John, thank you for uh, your insights into all the things. Um, it was interesting to see your slide, Julie, on the healthcare market also was an area. And education was down. Education might have been because a lot of facilities closed their doors and were doing virtual education. And all those janitorial and food service jobs that go along with a university, at least, might have been gone. And, and hopefully, they'll be coming back. Thank you again, Julie.